0: To the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. It's a love story wrapped up in a revenge tale by way of a tournament battle that started the Kung Fu phase of the 1970s and introduced the power of the Iron Fist to the world. It was built as a martial arts masterpiece with sights and sounds like never before, and was recently greenlit as a Hollywood remake. Welcome to the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Beden, and today we take a swing at King Boxer, also known as the Five Fingers of Death. <laughs> the Five Fingers of Death was directed by Chang-Hua Chung and released in the U.S. in 1973. According to Sight & Sound Magazine, director Quentin Tarantino placed Five Fingers of Death at number 11 on his 12-favorite-movies list, And with good reason, this movie served as the template for many kung fu movies to come. Rival schools, secret kung fu styles, Sino-Japanese tensions, and themes of honor, perseverance, and pride are echoed time and again throughout kung fu cinema. And speaking of Hollywood directors, Brett Ratner has recently confirmed that he is planning on doing a big-budget Hollywood remake of this movie. If the kung fu age of cinema is about ready to back up the current superhero age, I say bring it on. And as I said in the first episode, somebody please do five venoms already. The master of a kung fu school wants to send his best student, Zhao Jihao to a colleague school to further his training to prepare him for an important upcoming tournament. However, a rival school is dead set on winning and will do whatever it takes to stop any potential competition, including hiring local thugs and Japanese assassins. Think of it like Mr. Miyagi and Daniel going up against the Cobra Kai Dojo. But Jihao might have a trick up his sleeve literally, if he can learn a secret technique known as the Iron Fist. <laughs> an immediate fight scene as our movie opens up on our elderly kung fu master Sung Wu Yang while he's walking home. He gets accosted by a bunch of local gangsters from the rival school and gets roughed up a little, but not without him getting to show off some of the moves that made him a master in the first place. As the film responsible for breaking open the kung fu market in the U.S., it's easy to see why it was billed as having sights and sounds never experienced before. Our kung fu master shows off his almost supernatural leaping ability as he hops from ground to rooftop and back again without breaking a sweat. Meanwhile, he's able to hold off a number of machete-wielding gangsters fairly well, though he can't avoid taking a blade to the arm. Alert to the trouble, Ji Hao races to the scene where his mere presence is enough to scare off the thugs and their sneering, cigarette-chomping leader, who, by the way, milks his camera time for all it's worth. That'll be a common theme here, especially with all the villains who love to mug it up. Back at the school, the master laments his age and deteriorating skills and orders Ji Hao to attend a college school so that he can get better training for the important upcoming tournament. A visiting former student, Da Ming, is there to show what he has learned from the new school and to accompany Jihao back. Jihao is reluctant to leave because this place is all he's known, and he also happens to be in love with the master's daughter, Yin Yin. Sun Wu Yang offers an ultimatum. If Jihao wins the tournament, he gets to win his blessing to marry Yin Yin. Jihau, of course, reluctantly accepts. The next day, we get introduced to our rival school, led by the weasel-faced Meng Tian Sung, who, uh, shows just how unlikable he and his school are as they walk through town, looting and destroying property without any care. Fight scene. In the town square, we get to meet a young Bolo Young, as a street fighter offering a chance to any takers to fight him to win some cash. Bolo isn't yet the chiseled man-mountain that we see in Bloodsport. In fact, he actually looks more like a second-rate genie here, but he's still a big boy. After one onlooker's feeble attempt to give him a worthy fight, we meet our wandering mercenary, Chen Leng. Now, Chen Lang sports one of the strangest haircuts in film history because it's essentially a spikeless mullet. But where the spikes should be is instead a receding hairline that goes so far back that it makes his forehead look more like a five-head, maybe a six-head. Of course, there's a reason his five-head looks the way it does as he and Bolo trade some blows to set up this fight. Bolo employs brute strength and loping, lumbering steps while five-head employs a more dynamic, fluid style. When Bolo leaves an opening, Fivehead takes advantage and plants a powerful headbutt into Bolo's chest that sends the genie giant reeling. Unaccustomed to being tagged so forcefully, Bolo reacts by throwing a large clay basin, which Fivehead easily destroys with that nasty noggin of his. Bolo charges one last time, only to get a whole lot of cranium to his face, and it's it's lights out. Not a bad show. Congratulations. You think the money's yours, but it's not that easy. <laughs> First of all, you've got me to deal with. Five Head is content to take his money and move on, but the rival school's greasy leader, Tian Sung, steps in and tries to shake Five Head down for his winnings. Just as they're about to throw down, Tian Sung's father, uh, Meng Dong Shan, who's the big heavy here, steps in and stops the fight, and instead invites Five Head for a sit-down where... Five Head offers his services to the rival school. Meanwhile, the hired thugs that were supposed to take out Sun Wu Yang get sidetracked on their way back by a beautiful street performer. He should be back by now. Wonder what's keeping him. When she refuses their offer to take her home with them, they try to kidnap her, but she bolts for her life. She races into a restaurant where Ji Hao happens to be eating peacefully. The hired goons follow her in and are surprised to see Ji Hao there, on their home turf. They have a really quick fight, but are just no match. This fight highlights some key differences from future fights in this genre. Lo Lei, who plays Ji Hao, is a skilled fighter, but compared to other fight choreography, these fights just don't look as graceful or dynamic just yet. The camera work features more close-ups of the contact and reactions, with lots of editing to show punches and kicks being set up. The fighting hasn't yet been subjected to any speeding up, either. Uh, or elaborate wire work, so the action is more deliberate. Lei is more straightforward and gruff with his fighting. He doesn't do lots of spins or twirls, choosing instead to throw powerful direct punches or kicks. And aside from the occasional and in probably high flying leaps, every fight is a rough and tumble affair, more like a street brawl than anything else. Our street performer, Yan Hong takes a shine to Jihao Hao and asks him to accompany her as they both journey on. Xi makes a sly play for his affections during an overnight stay, which he gallantly and politely rebuffs, while still pledging to be her protector. The next day, Jihao shows up at his new school, where he's tested by another student, Han Lung. The new master seems less than impressed with his abilities and relegates Jihao to a position as a kitchen worker, where he does a lot of menial tasks, such as drawing water and chopping wood. Think Daniel-san here. During his tasks, the teacher randomly tests his abilities until one day... He's deemed accomplished enough to join the regular classes. Meanwhile, we catch up with our rival school and Fivehead, who are in a bar discussing plans to ensure that they win the tournament. Jihao walks in on an errand and immediately gets the business from Fivehead. Actually, this little pig's from Shengwu school. Why should we put up with this stench? Fivehead mocks Jihao as a pig and pours wine all over his head. Jihao, however, resists the urge to fight back and instead walks away but the news gets back to the school where Jihao is condemned as a coward, losing face with his fellow students. Fight scene. A little while later, Chen Leng shows up at the school, simply to pick a fight. He takes on the school's top students and makes fairly easy work of them. The headmaster, Shen Chin arrives and tries to quell the situation, but Chen Leng offers him an ultimatum instead. I give you exactly three days to move out. If you don't, I'm warning you, you'll be sorry. The headmaster, of course, won't sit for that, and he and Chen Leng go at it. The headmaster does get the better of him and offers a stoppage after beating his butt, but as he turns to walk away, Chen Lang sucker headbutts him and seriously injures him. Jihao won't let that sit, and instead goes back to the bar the next day to find Fivehead and his crew. Fight scene. This time Jihao turns the tables and pours wine on Fivehead and bashes a wine across his face. The ensuing fight is again a barrage of hard strikes and crunching kicks with Jihao besting besting Fivehead and thoroughly embarrassing him. The sneering son, Tian Sung, swears payback. Just you wait. I'm gonna pay you back for this. <laughs> News gets back to the school that Jihao was the man, angering Han Lung but garnering the favor of the headmaster. It's here that he chooses to reveal that he's had higher plans for Jihao since he arrived. All the menial tasks were tests in preparation for Jihao to be ready to receive the secret technique of the Iron Fist. It's a very powerful and lethal style, so the headmaster makes Jihao promise only to use it for self-defense and not for glory seeking. One of the rival school thugs overhears this exchange and reports it back to his masters. There's legitimate concern from the rival headmaster and his sniveling son. The Iron Fist would be a serious problem to deal with at the tournament. Thus hatches a plan to hire outside help in the form of Japanese mercenaries whose sole purpose is to eliminate the competition. This will be their attempt to, quote unquote, sweep the leg. Kung Fu requires a level of physical fitness that few have achieved, but you don't need to be a Kung Fu master to get into the best shape of your life. As an independent Beachbody Coach, Jeff Vita has helped many people focus on better nutrition and exercise to shape up and slim down in as little as 60 days, all for free. Sign up for a free account with Jeff at www.beachbodycoach.com slash probat That link will be in the show notes. To get his coaching and guidance from nutrition to workout tips, as well as daily motivation to follow through on a program that suits your needs and goals. Jeff can speak from experience, having lost 51 pounds while doing the Insanity Max 30 workout. You can see his transformation on YouTube via the link in the show notes. Ignis Orem Probot, fire test gold, time to shine. up with Ji Hao as he's training to wield the Iron Fist by plunging his hands into smoldering charcoal. Han Long pays him a visit and challenges him to a quick fight to see the Iron Fist in action. Remembering his promise to the headmaster, Ji Hao declines only to get attacked and beaten down. He steadfastly holds back any retaliation even as he's dead to rights and about to take a potentially devastating blow from Han Long. Han Long holds back enough to realize his own shame and sort of confront his jealousy and takes off. Unbeknownst to both of them, the headmaster has witnessed the whole thing. Back at Ji Hao's old school, a letter arrives updating everyone on what Ji has been up to. Yin Yin reminisces fondly, and we cut to her imagination where there's a truly awkward moment in the film, which is unintentionally hilarious. It's the hackneyed lovers running through a field moment as we See an open meadow bathed in sunlight while a soft melody hangs in the air. In the distance we see Ji Hao waving and calling to Yin Yin before beginning a slow motion run towards her. On the other side is Yin Yin waving flowers and skipping towards him with her hair flowing in the wind. We cut to a long shot in front of a lake as the couple meet up in the middle for what should be a huge hug, but instead turns into an agonizingly slow dosey doe, do with the pair circling each other before settling into a pleasant embrace that siblings might exchange. Thankfully, it's a quick scene and turns out to be a little lighthearted moment that is bound to be shattered by the seriousness about to unfold. We meet our Japanese assassins, Mr. Okada, and his two henchmen, who we will call Sadako and Samara, because these unkempt mouth-breathers have seemingly never owned a comb in their lives, thus continuing the trend of bad guys with bad hair days. One would think that all that hair in front of their eyes would be a hindrance to efficient swordsmanship, but apparently not. A quick sit-down with... The headmaster reveals that these guys have been brought in to take out the leading students from the rival school with deadly force. Fight scene. Du Wei, a top student in the school, is walking along a path when he is stopped by Mr. Okada and the Bad Hair Bunch. After some taunting and name-calling, the fight breaks out with Mr. Okada showing off his karate and judo skills. Du Wei is immediately on the short end of the stick when Okada uncorks a flying kick that just misses him and instead splits a small tree in half. This is a very quick fight that gets drawn out a little bit by some long pauses to linger on Okada's cocky sneering. Dewey never gets a shot in on Okada and instead takes a terminal boot to the face. Dewey's corpse is wheelbarrowed back to the school where it is unceremoniously tossed through the doors and slides up the floor to stop right at Shen Shen Pei's feet. Ji and Han Lung are understandably primed to attack when they are restrained by the headmaster. Huh, <laughs> hurry right there! You've got to keep a cool head. We must just be patient. Wait, what? Patient? One of your students has just been murdered, and the body is tossed into your school, and you want them to keep a cool head? Why don't you just go ahead and give them coupons for some free pizza while you're at it? By the way, no cops or anything. They'll just keep their cool heads and deal with it. You've earned that much Dewey. Han Lung is so ticked, he kicks through a school wall, and then goes to drown his sorrows at a local bar. Where, it so happens, our songbird, Yan Hong is performing. She sits down with Han Lung, and they do some catch-up, and after a feeble attempt at affection by Han Lung, she coldly banishes him to the friend zone. To make matters worse, she asks about Jihao. That turns out to be the last straw for Han Long as he storms out. Han Lung, though, is followed by the thugs who are also in the bar, but just before they're about to attack him, he stops them and asks to see their headmaster. He's got an offer that they can't refuse, apparently. Han Lung here goes full Benedict Arnold as his jealousy of Jihao seems to have overtaken his senses. He essentially offers Jihao to the rival school so that he can be taken out of the tournament for consideration. Jihao gets lured out with a forged note from our songbird, but instead is met by the entire crew of thugs, including Tian Song, Mr. Okada, Sadako, and Samara. Fight, scene. Some thugs jump out from the surrounding brush, brandishing swords. Jihao is able to counter and instinctively breaks out the iron fist for the first time. His hand glows red for a moment as he uses it to kill one of the attackers. He snatches a spear out of midair, redirects it to kill another thug, and then finds himself surrounded by about a dozen or so minions with swords. Hanlong is also skulking nearby, watching the action. Loli gets to flex his kung fu muscles here as he bobs and weaves his way through the sword attacks. He deflects more than a few blades and uses them to take out his attackers one by one. Sadako and Samara enter the fray, as does Mr. Okada. The combined skill of these three, however, is enough to tip the balance and bring Jihao to his knees. Jihao's hands are tied to a tree, and Mr. Okada, who you remember was hired to kill tournament-ready students of the school, makes the curious decision to not kill Jihao, even though he was apparently deemed good enough to be in the tournament, and learn the deadly secret technique known as the iron fist. Instead, he instructs his goons, Make sure you break his hands. While he's immobilized and vulnerable, Sadako and Samara take turns swinging baseball bat-sized branches at his hands, making really sickening thunk sounds against the tree. Ji Hao's hands wind up purple and bloody when Okada finally calls an end to the punishment, and then they abandon him there in the forest. Now he'll never learn the iron fist technique. A traveling Yanju Hung Hong happens upon the injured Ji Hao and gets him to safety, where she starts to nurse him back to health. After a while, she uses the opportunity to out her true feelings for Ji Hao, but gets booted to the same friend zone as harshly as she slapped down Han Long earlier. When Ji Hao doesn't show up at school, the headmaster gets to worrying about his whereabouts, the tournament isn't far away, and if Jihao can't be found, he'll have to be replaced, much to Hanlong's delight. Da Ming, however, manages to track Jihao down and convinces him to come back to the school to complete his training. After a big bout with self-pity, Jihao accepts, leaving the crying Hong in his dust. Meanwhile, back at Jihao's old school, Mr. Okada and his goons pay the old headmaster a less than pleasant visit. Fight scene. Sadako and Samara attack first with their swords, but Sungwoo Yang still has some spring in his legs as he flips over them and lands on the rooftop. Mr. Okada steps in, and he and the headmaster exchange crushing blows. There's a lot of posturing and pre-attack close-ups with screaming, particularly from the Japanese side. Mr. Okada is legitimately scary, but mostly because he's constantly screaming in your face. Sun Wu Yang does an admirable job of fending off the three attackers for a while until... Mr. Okada catches him in an armbar and proceeds to snap his arm in two. He immediately follows this with a flying kick that upends Sung Wu Yang and then finishes him off with a heavy chop to the head that opens up a chasm of a gash on his forehead. The hair twins finish him off with their swords and Sung Wu Yang goes into one of the most dramatic slow motion death scenes ever. later just as they're leaving to make the grizzly discovery Sun Wu Yang tries to leave a poignant final message for her but it comes out as incomplete gibberish at least in the English dub version which is the version that I'm watching if you watch the original Chinese version um, email me and let me know what exactly he says because in this version he just kind of mumbles around for a little bit Back at Chenchen Pay School Jihao is pushing his body past its limits as he tries to heal and prepare for the tournament his Self-doubt is making him sloppy, but with some encouragement, he makes some important strides. He heals and progresses so quickly that he defeats several classmates, including the jealous Han Lung, and gets designated the tournament representative. Han Lung takes this news back to Meng Sheng and lays out a plan to ambush Jihao and take him out. Meng Dongsheng seemingly balks, chastising Han Lung for violating the honor of fighters, but all is not quite what it seems. Every day, whether you realize it or not, you're moved by the power of visual communication. And that's by design. At Tinbox Marketing Solutions, the goal of that design is to bring effective communication to a myriad of people through shape, color, texture, and sound. Tinbox is a creative services group located in Los Angeles, California, by way of New York City. Their clients include La Tigre, Konami, Pony Footwear, and comedian Jerry Seinfeld. For the bleeding edge in graphic design and print services, don't think outside the box. There is no box. TinBoxSolutions.com Japanese guys are called in to meet Han Long. Sadako is called on to fight a quote-unquote friendly match with Han Long. It starts getting decidedly unfriendly though when Samara tags in and starts tossing Han Long around like a ragdoll. Everyone jumps in eventually and starts dishing out a beating on Han Long, including the headmaster. Now, before we go any further, if you have some crazy pills, take them right now because this next scene will make much more sense that way. The incredible coup de grace in this fight is Tian Song kicking a clearly beaten Han Long up over his head, then leaping up to catch him in midair, only to throw him hard back down to the ground. And while Han Long is lying there prone, Tian Song leaps down at him with his pointer and middle finger extended, and, wait for it, he plucks Han Long's eyes right out of his head. Straight up lifts them up and out of his skull. You ever put olives on your fingers to eat them? It's like that. He gouges his eyes out and rips his eyeball straight out of his face. He tosses the eyes down to the ground while sneering like a maniac. Now by the way, the eyes are still perfectly spherical. Everything is intact but the optical nerves are nowhere to be found. He plucked those eyes out with surgical precision to the point of cleanly severing these nerves. Everybody there finds this insanely humorous except for Chen Leng who looks like he's starting to feel some pity for Han Long. A few days later on the road to the tournament, Hao is chased down by Chen Lang, but instead of a rematch, Chen Lang has had a change of heart and warns Jihao about Mr. Okada and the Hare Twins waiting in the woods to ambush him. Chen Lang even arms Jihao with some daggers to help against the swordsmen. Fight scene. On cue, Jihao is attacked and we get a great sword versus dagger battle in the forest. Jihau ices the twins early with some skillfully thrown daggers and a little help from the Iron Fist. He gets more of a fight from Mr. Okada who comes in with karate and judo a blazing. He tags Jihao a few times, but then gets some unexpected help from Fivehead himself. He steps in and pushes Jihao to get to the tournament. Jihao reluctantly leaves while Fivehead and Okada continue battling. At the tournament, Jihao shows up really late, but gets in just in time to advance through some fights. There's a lot of trampoline work throughout this movie, but they go heavy here in the tournament scenes as the combatants often meet in midair to make their strikes. Yin Yin also arrives at the tournament, much to the chagrin of Yan Hong but she withholds the info of her dad's murder for the moment. Yan Hong takes a walk to clear her head, and runs into Han Lung, who is blindly making his way through the city streets, without a handler, so who knows how long he's been stumbling around, or for that matter, how he even found his way to the tournament. Fight scene. Back in the arena, we get the final match between Ji Hao and Tian Cheng. In case you weren't already sure, Tian Cheng is wearing black pants while Ji Hao is wearing white. Loli did a fun interview on YouTube about his acting roles, and in this movie he's a clear good guy, but after this his roles became decidedly more sinister and he got typecast as the big heavy for a long time. He wasn't initially thrilled with the idea, but eventually grew to embrace it and be really great at it. Of course, uh, in the actor, I always uh, uh, like to uh, be a good guy. But beginning, Zhang Che, the director, they put me in the bad guy. but. I'm at the bad guy, already ex ex accessible. So so you cannot change. Everyone is no, oh Loli is coming, is a bad guy. So you wanted to change your style. But it's very difficult. Beginning is uh, not not not, not enjoy. But after it's okay because uh, already every, everyone believes you, oh that guy is Lolly. So I'm enjoying. I'm be, and I'm be a bad guy. In this fight there's a lot of give and take in the beginning but Ji Hao eventually starts to get the upper hand and at one point almost uncorks the iron fist. His hands begin to glow slightly which stops Han Long cold. Ji Hao though remembers to pull it back and instead resorts to a regular beatdown. He starts to tee off on his face like Rocky and Han Long goes down hard and thus crowns Ji Hao as the tournament champion. Meng Dengshun goes over to seemingly congratulate Chen Xinpei for his win, but instead whips out a dagger and stabs him right there in the middle of the raucous crowd, then slips away in the confusion. Jihao discovers this, and learns of the murder of his former master, and the extreme close-up of Jihao's eyes lets you know that the Iron Fist is about to go nuts. We catch up with the tournament losers as they enter their home, for some reason the electricity is out, leaving them in complete darkness. Chen Sheng walks over to a lamp to light it when... Two fingers shoot out of the black and pluck his eyes right out of his skull. Han Lung, aided by Yan Zhuheng, has been lying in wait to exact his revenge. The rest of this fight takes place in the dark as Han Lung is led to attack by Yan Zhuheng. He strikes wherever she tells him to and the blind Tian Sheng stumbles through the house and into and out of trouble. Meng Deng Shun skulks around trying to help when he charges with his dagger into a shadowy figure. Unfortunately, it turns out that he has mistakenly stabbed his own son. With uh, tears in his eyes and rage in his heart, he lashes out and manages to chase Han Long and Yan Hung into a lit hallway where they're met by a garrison of soldiers. He doesn't need any help, though, as he corners and strikes down both Han Long and Yan Hung, leaving them bloody heaps at his feet. Fight scene. Ji shows up at the house far too late to save Yan Hung, but he's only got one thing on his mind anyway, and that's killing Meng Shun. The dozen or so minions tangle with Ji but he's so focused that he cuts through the group like a hot knife through butter. He weaves through the swords and daggers without any problems while also connecting hard with anyone in his way. He leaves bloody handprints on people's chests and backs. There are random sprays of blood and spit as one by one he mows the group down and advances to where Meng Dongshun is hiding. Meng Dongshun, however, is not about that fight game at the moment and decides that if he's going to go out, it ain't going to be by way of the Iron Fist. So he plunges his dagger into his belly while locked in an epic stare down with Ji Hao. When he rips that dagger out, a fountain of blood shoots out like an uncapped New York City fire hydrant and it is over for Meng Dongshan. Ji Hao exits and meets up with Da Ming and Yin Yin as they figure that everything is neatly wrapped up and they can just go home now. Wrong. Final fight. Mr. Okada shows up and just to prove how much of a badass he is, he's carrying Chen Lang's severed head which he tosses to the ground at Jihao's Hao's feet. This fight scene is available on YouTube if you want to go look it up. In terms of raw aggression and power, this fight lays it all out there. Ji Hao isn't holding anything back as he gets into his stance and immediately calls up the Iron Fist. His hands glow the iconic red and they don't stop glowing because somebody's gonna die here. Okada breaks out his sword and there's a quick flurry exchange with Ji Hao taking a slice to the chest. Now in contrast to the very dynamic and hyperactive fights of later movies, this fight stages a lot of shots with posturing as the fighters take the time to size each other up before attacking. It heightens the tension to a degree, but the action seems slow if you're used to the acrobatics and amped up choreography of the later films. The Ustari Cycle by Jeff Summers, author of the Avery Kate series, has been called intricate with ink-black humor by RT Book Reviews, and heartbreaking, and soaked in blood and steeped in deadly power and desperation by Publishers Weekly. When blood fuels magic, there are mages, there are bleeders, and there are no good people. Learn the words, get the blood, and rule the world. Available everywhere from Gallery Books. Check out WeAreNotGoodPeople.com Jihau uses some of this posturing time to initiate a series of leaps up into the night sky, disappearing from Okada's view for a moment. While Okada is scanning the sky, Jihao emerges from the dark and lands a kick to Okada's face. Okada charges with his blade, and this was the first time that I can remember seeing the infamous sword blade catch as Jihao claps his hands around either side of the descending sword and holds it in place. Okada can't dislodge the blade no matter what he does, so Jihao redirects it into the pole behind him, then shatters it with a hard overhand chop. I can actually remember thinking to myself that that seemed to be a perfectly logical way to defend yourself against a sword attack. Clap the blade and hold it and then maybe kick it out of the attacker's hands. I made a mental note to try that if I was ever attacked with a sword. I mean, what could possibly go wrong, right? Now remember, I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, so in the 70s, getting attacked with a sword was not necessarily out of the realm of possibility. Now disarmed, Okada has to resort to hand to hand tactics, and we see that these two are very evenly matched. They go at it, and no one seems to have the upper hand for a while until Jihao punches through a pole with the iron fist and catches Okada in the chest. A stumbling Okada tries to regroup, but Jihao lets fly with a kick that hobbles him. Jihao continues pressing now, and his hands don't stop glowing as he lands a strike that throws Okada into a brick wall, shattering the plaster around him. Okada won't stop coming, though, and goes in for one last desperate attack. Instead, he takes another iron strike to the face, sending him even deeper into the wall. As the rocks and bricks crumble around him, he takes one last gasp and drops dead. I'll post this link in the show notes, but there's a hilarious review of this movie from the New York Times in 1973 by Roger Greenspun that basically Iron this movie is just a bunch of tripe and nonsense. Quote, I don't know much about karate, but I know what I don't like. And the Karate in Five Fingers of Death, for all its slow-motion high leaps, its grunts, its whooshing fists, has the look of the bottom of the barrel. It's all too wild, as if composed for show rather than for attack, defense, or any real purpose. It is entirely possible, perhaps intentionally possible, to take the film as a joke. But humor at this level pales very rapidly. Laughing at a movie is never fun for long. End quote. I can't help but wonder what he would have thought of a movie like The Legend of Ricky O oh then. Lo Lee went on to act in over 200 films well into his later years, and as recently as 2001, working alongside greats like Lee Van Cleef, Jackie Chan, Michelle Yeoh, and Sammo Hung, to name a few. He left a legacy of amazing characters from the 36th Chamber of Shaolin to the Clan of the White Lotus, which he also directed. Lee passed away from a heart attack in 2002 at the age of 63. Okay, boys and clan, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for joining me. I want to give a quick shout-out to Tiger Stewart, who dropped me a nice line on the Facebook page. Irene for the retweets and Instagram love, and Marcus for knowing that my young auntie isn't some back alley incest porn. For the rest of you, if you have the time, please go into iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It'll help the show out a lot. We should be available on the Google Play Store as soon as they debut their podcast feeds. Otherwise, catch me on Twitter, at Kung Fu Drive-In, on our Facebook page, Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, or get all the links via our blog page, kungfudrivein.com. Tune in next week as we take on a legendary weapon when we break down Master of the Flying Guillotine. See you next week on the Kung Fu Driving Podcast.